Welcome to another episode of the Brighton Business Show on Radio Reverb, produced by the amazing H2 Productions. I'm here with my amazing co-host, the wonderful... Lindsay Clay. Lindsay, how you doing? I'm good. And my other wonderful co-host... I'm Sam Thomas. The wonderful Sam Thomas. The legend. <laughs> the man, the myth. That is Sam Thomas. Different hats. I know. Podcast I know. founder. I know. Very exciting announcement last month. So I was really blown away by the, the team that have helped put it together. Um, it's been been brilliant. The guys at Inside Stories coming up with a name and the tagline, helping the world to see success differently. And that is the mission that I'm on. It's such a beautiful thing. It's so lovely to see. And especially inspiring for everyone who's a founder of just mm. how your business can grow and stretch where you end up, what your dream... You know, you've always talked about the dream of when you started a podcast mm. and who you were inspired by. And now it's sort of seeing that journey come true for you is yeah, amazing. Thank you. Yeah, no, I'm blown away. And obviously the brand dad himself, Mr. Bill Walsgrove, got to give him a little shout out because it, uh, it was awesome to come up with the, with the logo and everything as well. And, and look, the guys that put this together, H2 Productions, I couldn't literally couldn't do without them because uh, they... You know me, Lindsay. I'm a bit of a technophobe. <laughs> so to have them guys in the background putting it all together and making it come to life is, is incredible. So, yeah, I'm, I'm excited about the journey and where it's going to go. So Good times. And it was lovely. We had the, um, the Business Breakfast Club, yeah. Big Business Breakfast Club. I always get the name. Big Breakfast Club. At the Grand Hotel in August uh, with the wonderful Andrew Mosley, who's the best storyteller I've heard in a long time. He was great. He was so brilliant. Absolutely brilliant. Lovely. Just sat down with you to do an interview and then just got up <laughs> and started <laughs> delivering your little face. I'm like, oh, okay, we'll do it that way, shall we? <laughs> <laughs> the, the, the Ricky Gervais story is gold, oh, is not it? So good. He was absolutely brilliant. Listen in to um, the podcast of Different Hats to Andrew Mosley listeners to hear his story on Ricky Gervais. It's absolutely classic. And we all had our Hawaiian shirts on and you got to reveal Different Hats and you got a really great response. So. Yeah, I'm, I'm great. Well as done. Always, as always, grateful. Like the, the community here is incredible and I'm yeah, really grateful for everyone's support and I'm looking forward to where it goes. The, the, new, the new chapter. It feels mad that we're in September. I feel like, you know how like January seems to have gone a really long time mm. in a bad way because it's like the weather's bad and you're like, ugh, yeah. when is it going to get nice? I feel like August has been a bit like that. I feel like August lasted a really long time. Yeah. And I don't know because it started with Pride and it was such a party. And then we haven't like, quite had the weather. And so mm. days have felt maybe a bit longer or slower. It's yeah. been such a mix match, hasn't it? With yeah, weather. No, I'm with you. I'm with you. I'm re- I feel ready for September. Yeah, Although yeah. it feels weird that it's going to be autumn. At the yeah. end of the month, that feels strange. I uh, hope we have a long, I hope it's a long summer. Yeah, in an Indian summer, isn't it? Yeah, yeah. I'm, I'm all over it. Fingers crossed, everybody. Fingers crossed. Just topping up your tan, that's all it's about. Yes. So we're winning. But um, look, today's topic big, big, big. I feel like as a woman in her 40s, this com- this topic dominates my life. Yeah. With my friendship group, always talking about perimenopause and menopause. Yeah. And what it means for us. Now, this affects a third of women who are either perimenopause or menopausal, and that's around 13 million women in the UK. It's Typically between f- 45 and 55, and it can last up to 14 years, which is slightly frightening. It's f- for me, but on a personal level, this is some, a topic I really, really wanted to talk about from a man's perspective. I guess look, I'm married to a woman in her mid-40s, and she is perimenopausal, and we've gone through that process, and it's opened my eyes massively to you know what 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 women have to go through and actually i've just listened i mean davina mccall is a, a great example of talking about it and being open and i've i've listened to her book and i advise 
all the women out there and actually and men especially as well get involved listen to it's an amazing book you'll learn so much and actually just from our point of view from a man's point of view trying to be a little bit more understanding from what you actually have to go through um is really 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 eye-opening and um yeah I'm, I'm really passionate about talking about it like i say as openly as possible and 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 trying to help like, like as we always do trying to help businesses here and how they can broach that subject absolutely i think being there regardless of what your for- workforce is going through mm. it's understanding that there are certain age triggers for people and that has an impact on mm. your performance and your productivity and your emotions and your hormones mm. and how can we get make sure that we're making people feel as comfortable as possible throughout that period of their of their life yeah it's massive and i think absolutely the point of it's for everybody to understand so women who are in it this it's hard for me to understand as someone who's in it because there's so much information and you're told to eat one thing fast for something else stand on your head you know blow a whistle what is it that i've got to do that's going to really help me it feels like it's very individual and then for you know our partners to help us whether that's men or women he she they he's like how can they support us and know what we're going through mm. and also for younger people around you to know what you're going through because I remember as a kid it was you were just sort of told that your mum was going to go a bit mad at some point mm. and that would be that yeah. you know and they were going to have hot flushes and they'd be a bit weird I think I think I think that's it for me is listening to the book and getting a little bit more knowledge around it was actually like my my perception of it before is was hot flushes and mood swings and that's what we sort of talk about and know about and that's it really um, and it's going to be a period that that, go, that that goes on for. But there's so much more. There's so many different symptoms and stuff that actually women can look out for, but men as well can look out for in advance to try and help. Me and Kelly, actually, I'm open about this, and I, I talk about it quite a lot. We went through a really tough time last year um, and actually really delving into it when, Ke- um, when Kelly started realising that she was maybe perimenopausal. That just actually then we both sat and watched a documentary together with Davina McCall and actually then there's a bit more of a supportive network because I'm starting to understand more now. Actually she's just going through a really, really hard time and what more you want to be more empathetic. What what can you do more to support? And I mm-hmm. think that's something we just need to be a lot more aware of. Had I noticed some of them signs beforehand, maybe we wouldn't have gone through such a difficult time. I could have yeah. you know, and I think that's something that uh, talking about it more about all the symptoms that that that, that can, we can go through, and I think you now our guests today are going to hopefully be able to share a bit of an insight into that. I'm so excited to listen to these two and, and get their right. and just to tell us just the basics, just so that we you know we've all got a very basic understanding of what this means, who it affects, when it affects them, what we should be looking out for, and how we can help. Amazing. Shall we? Uh, shall we introduce our our amazing guests? Let's get them on. We are absolutely thrilled to have two brilliant guests with us today. We have got the wonderful Amy White from Lock Training and Wellbeing. And we also have the fabulous uh, Dr. Olivia Hum from Myla Health. Welcome, welcome, welcome. So if you can just tell our listeners a little bit about you, Olivia, if we start with you. Um, So my name's Olivia Hum. I am an NHS GP in Lewis, and I'm also one of a very small number of British Menopause Society menopause specialists. And so I am part of the Council of the British Menopause Society, so involved nationally in sort of designing guidelines and pathways for menopause. But I'm also a menopause doctor, and Myla Health is my little company, and we've got seven doctors now working with us. We see patients in Sussex and Kent 
Kent and Sheffield and Exeter. Um, and we also go into workplaces a lot to talk about menopause and to educate people, as well as educating lots and lots of doctors all through the country about how to manage menopause. We have got so many questions. <laughs> <laughs> big topic today, yeah, big, big topic. topic. And Amy. Thank you for having me. I'm Amy White. Uh, I am the head of Lock Training and Wellbeing, part of the Lock Associates Group, which is uh, a firm of lawyers, HR consultants, uh, mediators, and then also trainers uh, who specialise in people management training and wellbeing training. Uh, I was previously uh, working as an employment solicitor with a regional law firm where I was advising employees and employers on the law uh, and I've taken this role up more recently to try and stop the need for uh, employment tribunal claims by getting the people management stuff right at the beginning. So we do quite a lot of training in relation to menopause helping HR managers and uh, people managers within businesses to better support their people. Amazing. Amazing. Listen, thank you both so much for coming on. I think but to, just from your introductions there both about like the education side of things and actually being preventative of mm. and knowledge is power right and that's one of the reasons that we for, for us with this show is talking about taboo subjects potentially and and this certainly being one of them that we really want to embrace and the education's got to start maybe whether it's younger whatever that looks like but knowledge is power and the more information we have the more we can openly talk about that and the better things will be i think we were just talking before we went on air about how you had one hour of, of um, training on the menopause at med school, which is frightening. Yeah, <laughs> no, I mean, that was exactly it. So it was essentially um, taught as a sort of, you know, thing that we didn't really have to do very much. One hour out of six years of medical school. And we were told very firmly at the time by an elderly male gynaecologist that women got anxious at menopause, not because it was a menopausal symptom, but because their children had left home and they therefore lost their role in society, which, of course, at the age of 21, I thought sounded absolutely rational. I mean, <laughs> why would anyone want to be 50? And now I'm approaching that myself. That's not really how I'm planning to live the rest of my life. Um, so, you know, women in their 40s and 50s, they are active, they have families, they often have caring responsibilities and they want to work and they want to thrive um, and they're not prepared to be written off anymore, I think. Absolutely. So let's just start with the very, very basics. What will we talk about perimenopause or menopause? What does that actually mean? Well, so the menopause actually really just means your last period. So it's when your periods stop. And so what happens is we're all, all women are born with a finite supply of eggs. And every month you will ovulate and produce an egg. Well, not everyone does, obviously, but many women will do. And then as you get into your 40s, what happens that this sort of dance is up and down of hormones every month starts going a little bit wrong. And that is the perimenopause. And so when the egg is produced every month, not enough not as much estrogen is produced as before and then on the second half of your cycle a hormone called progesterone is produced and this maintains the womb lining it helps the womb prepare for the fertilized egg to be implanted and that goes a bit wrong too so what women will start noticing in the perimenopause is their hormones start getting really up and down so one day they'll be completely irrational and very tearful and not sleeping and feel really hot and the other days they'll feel absolutely brilliant and for many women because your cycles continue at that point 
you don't realise that there's anything hormonal going on. You think it's just because you're stressed or you're busy or you haven't slept very well. But actually, as things progress, what will happen is your periods will start spacing out or sort of come closer together. They might get very heavy. And eventually what will happen is that they'll come to a halt. But because many of us are on hormonal contraception, um, we won't ever know when that happens because we've got a coil or we're on the progesterone-only pill. So actually, when the perimenopause starts, is actually quite controversial. But we know it can start about 10 years before menopause. That seems like such an incredible amount of time. <laughs> Doesn't it? Like, 10 years, you say. And there's so many symptoms attached to the perimenopause. It feels like, you know, we used to talk about hot flushes and mood swings. Mm. And like, I joke as someone single that I need to find a man before I go mad in menopause and they'll love me while I'm mad. But that's, what we're, that's all we're told. But mm. actually, there's a whole raft of things that we should be looking out for. And then how that affects us in, in the workplace. Yeah, absolutely. And they definitely the women that I see at my clinic... Um, It's not usually the hot flushes, although we know that 75% of women will get some of what we call vasomotor symptoms, which basically means your body temperature changes. So it's not just flushes. You can feel cold. You wake at night with sweats. There's lots of different stuff that happens. But actually, for the women that I see, um, the real things that affect them, especially at work, are what we call the cognitive changes. So these are brain fog, difficulty finding words, so stopping in the middle of sentences, being unable to retrieve words from your memory, but also sleep. And the other thing is anxiety. So those are often the symptoms we see first in the perimenopause. And often they will happen in these two or three days before your period when your estrogen level is very low. So classically, people will come in and go for two or three days. I just feel really weepy and irrational and I can't sleep and I can't function at work. And gradually what happens is that time extends till it's a week of the month. And then as your hormones go completely haywire, it can just be up and down. You just don't really know who's going to get out of bed in the morning. And for many women, that is really terrifying. People just say to me all the time, I think I'm going mad. I think I might be getting dementia. I don't know what's happening to me. And, and, and also, about, does it sometimes get confused with some with depression as well? Like, I, I know like, we, we first met when I you were sitting on a panel um, at International Women's Day, and it was fascinating. And afterwards, I thought we we hooked up. I was like, oh, I need to talk to you because my uh, my wife Kelly, we've been together 26 years, and. She went. She's going through perimenopause at the moment, and we was talking about those symptoms. And actually, from one of the main reasons I was so passionate about having this conversation and trying to open the conversation from a man's point of view, listening to symptoms that we talk about. What like for for us to be able to look out for signs? Because I, I didn't. We went through. I, I openly talk about. We mentioned it in the intro before um, you guys come on that we went through a really tough time last year. Mm-hmm. Like to the point we've been together twenty six years, and we went through a point of almost splitting up. And it was only the fact that when she went to the doctors and the first thing was, oh, you're just depressed. Mm. And that mm. was such a, like, and she's a really, you know, she's a she's a managing partner of a law firm. She's always been very driven. And and she was just got, had all these symptoms similar to what you sort of mentioned about sort of maybe brain fog and those type of things, just feeling a little bit unsure and anxious about stuff. And and then that was the, the diagnosis was depression and put on antidepressants for that. And is that quite common to people... Yeah, absolutely. And what we, although I know it seems like, you know, whenever you kind of turn on the radio or open a newspaper, someone's talking about menopause, but this has only been happening for the last two and a half years. And it was really the Davina McCall documentary that actually blew this whole thing apart. It's made everyone start talking about it. And before that, there was very little recognition in medical terms and in with women themselves that mental health symptoms could be symptoms of the menopause. And that's because, as I was saying, we were all taught at medical school that they weren't symptoms of the menopause. But actually, if you look at the NICE guidelines, the 
guidelines that doctors should be using, it says that new anxiety and depression in a woman in their 40s should now, we should be thinking first about hormones and second about a primary mental health problem. And that has really, really changed. And this is why we do lots of education for GPs, mm. is to try and make them think now. If someone's coming with a new mental health problem, then think hormones first before before the antidepressants. And that isn't knocking antidepressants, because mm. for a lot of women and when, they can be amazing. Mm. But for many women, that's not the first line treatment that you should be looking at this point around awareness because it does feel like everything is about perimenopause and menopause now like everybody's talking about it you know you're being told you need to like eat this don't eat that exercise like this don't exercise like that fast like this don't fast like that there's so much information it's quite hard as someone in her 40s who has this conversation a lot with my friends like everything we ever talk about everyone just automatically links it to perimenopause whereas I think some of it is just lifestyle and age and experience rather than it having to necessarily be hormonal how do you kind of root sort of the trash from the treasure in terms of the information that's out there yeah it's really really difficult and I think again when I started my lab which was started as Women's Health Sussex about three years ago there was no information at all online so I remember writing resources mm. and there was literally nothing out there and there was no information and now there is almost too much information there's a lot of vested interest this is a very lucrative market so a lot of people have jumped on the menopause bandwagon mm. um, and so there's a lot of information out there and a lot of people making a lot of money from menopause and what I would say to women is look for British Menopause Society resources so I helped to write these these are all evidence-based there is no commercial interest that comes into these and these are the ones so women's health concern is the sort of patient branch of the British Menopause Society all the stuff on there is evidence-based so we've analyzed at the moment I'm going and rewriting their analysis of non-medical treatments so things like supplements exercise what's evidence-based what isn't so looking at those kind of resources that's the way to try and get the information that's actually correct and for you, Amy, what are you seeing in terms of from like a legal space and going into businesses and talking about menopause and policy in terms of making sure that the information that you're giving is the most kind of up to date, accurate, coming from the right source, offering the best support we can to our businesses? So a lot of it comes down to talking to those clients who have had that experience of being in the workplace and feeling unsupported to then determine what would work in practice for them, what would have changed that situation, uh, because that lived experience is what ensures that we get it right, that we're not just, as we've spoken about, uh, putting a policy in place that sits in a drawer, gathers dust, and nobody actually adheres to, pays any attention to, or implements. But you did tick a box that you've got a menopause policy, isn't well, it? That's the quite. <laughs> yeah, I think that's the thing, isn't it? It's, it's making sure that, and that's why having these conversations, getting that advice, and the right advice, and the right training mm. from people, that you are, it isn't just a... Cause same with whether it's be sustainability or whatever processes are at, at, at that time that people look at it and go I, I need to do that so we'll tick a box and yeah. inclusivity diversity which we spoke about on this show a few times mm. but but definitely it can be from a I guess from a, a policy point of view that it's got to be and it's got to be actioned as well is that mm. what you guys help with with the training side of it to get people yeah absolutely that's I think you're completely right to say that a policy is worthless if it's not implemented mm. and the way that we implement a policy is to get buy-in from senior leaders within an organisation and to then train those managers who will be applying it day-to-day in their interactions or in the way that they handle staff. So a lot of our training is with uh, HR teams and people managers to ensure that they have that education piece around both that slightly more clinical side but the legal side of it as well so they are aware and so that then they have tools to go away with 
that they can put into practice in the workplace, whether that is writing a policy from scratch and then understanding how to build awareness around it amongst their staff, who to train, how to train them, or whether it's even just more practical as to adjustments they can make in the workplace, mm. universally perhaps, not necessarily just for people going through menopause, but that would make that working environment more accommodating, easier to be our best in, effectively. What I'd be really intrigued to, to ask, actually, from, again... From a, from a man's point of view and you go into you know um, workplaces where men are, are founders or directors or whatever level what the response is to from them to be able to understand it more because I think from a again from a man's point of view we're looking at we, we need that knowledge we need I want to have that understanding like I've, I've again I've tried to embrace it as much as possible listen I watched the documentary that Davina with my wife and that helped us as a couple mm. to do that I've listened to the book Menopause In which I advise anyone to listen to I think it's, it was brilliant really eye opening from from my point of view actually to listen to it and go wow like the amount of things that you all of the symptoms and uh, because like I said for me from my point of view it was like hot flushes and and maybe some, you know, mood swings. Mm. But there was so much more, you know, mm. low sex drive or vaginal you know, dryness or, you know, so many different things that we're actually, as a man, I don't want to know about that. We just mm. put it apart. We do. We need to have these type of things. We need to be empowered by that. So I'm interested to know, like, what uh, response have you had from leaders going into... A positive response in the sense that there is an awareness and an acceptance that training is needed... Mm. I think where I would say there's still work to be done is who is sent on that training. Because uh, generally speaking, I meet a lot of women. They may well be in senior positions and the right people to attend that training, but it's definitely the women that are attending uh, a lot of the courses that that we run. So I think getting more men to attend uh, that kind of training to develop that awareness would take it a step further. It wouldn't just be, yes, we agree this is an issue in the workplace that we need to get people on board with it would be them actually getting the detail uh, and that that skill set that we talked about i love it because i know we sort of spoke a little bit off air about potentially and i think with you as well about like, i'd really love to host an event and mm. try and create a panel discussion of some but from both especially you i remember when we spoke and you mm. said like actually if we put something out there as a, a as an event what percentage of that would mm. be women that would attend and, mm. and i'd love to try and create a space where we did go right it's 50 50 we've yeah. got women and men in, in in that space that men want to find out and, and become more knowledgeable about it and i think as well um maybe we underestimate actually how much of an impact perhaps living with someone going through menopause can mm-hmm. have and therefore don't add the value to it that we should because if your partner for instance is struggling as you said mm-hmm. That will have an impact on your performance at work, your level of motivation, your engagement, whether you're a business owner or an employee. So it's not just about making sure that the the women in our organisations know about this topic and are supported. Actually, it goes far beyond that. You might be the child of somebody who is you live with because you still live at home who is going through menopause and that will have an impact on how you perform at work it's a whole ecosystem that's affected isn't it mm. yeah i entirely agree and you know when i do these talks in workplaces we talk a lot from the clinical side so mm. sort of educating people about symptoms mm. and you know and sort of how to manage them within the workplace and we're often approached afterwards by men who are mm. asking for information about their partners and often they are really 
know, really upset. It's been really distressing, as you were yeah, describing. Yeah, yeah. You know, so my partner has completely changed, and I can't help her. You know, this whole sort of, you know, trope about men wanting to fix things. Yeah. You know, they're saying, yeah. my my wife is, my partner is really struggling. I want to do something to help, but I can't help her. She pushes me away. And again, yes, by younger women who are mm. saying, I'm still living at home with my mum. My mum's really suffering with this. Mm. I don't know how to help her. She's not sleeping. She's really hot. She's been told, she, you know, we the classic thing, we've always seen people who are told they can't have HRT, and the vast majority of them actually can. Um, and there's all this sort of stuff going on and I think you're right I think men do want to know about it I also think I think men are quite embarrassed in the workplace to talk about it is Mm. that something that you hear and from what I've heard people come they say I know pregnancy now pregnancy I've got this from an HR point of view I know what to say I know how not to put my foot in it I know but like with menopause the the legislation the guidance is just Mm. so woolly I don't really know Mm. my way around this framework so it's better just not to say anything Mm. at all I don't is that what you're absolutely I think um, there is an element of stigma that science people from talking about it there is that feeling of if I say anything I'll get it wrong and therefore I'm opening up potential claims or, or risks for my for my employer so absolutely there is a, a, a reluctance I think often to, to open that conversation up even though there's a desire to do it uh, and to do it right mm. yeah absolutely people like Davina McCall are really helping that conversation in terms of awareness someone that is so popular mm. to all genders that and we was recently on the one show talking about the importance of men understanding menopause and her partner's a hairdresser and she was talking about sort of the thinness in your hair that can happen one of my friends has got whistling in her ears you know there's all this kind of list of, of symptoms that we're we're not addressing because we're not assuming it's attached to a hormonal shift mm-hmm. yeah absolutely I mean I think the celebrity involvement in menopause has is again, there are good and bad aspects to it. I think the Davina McCall documentary was amazing because she's a mainstream celebrity. So there were bits and bobs before that in Marilla Frostrup, but she's not, she just doesn't have that universal appeal. And what I think really appealed as well is that Davina was, I think, was so brave about it. She came out and said, I was really anxious, you know, I had these symptoms. The problem with it is that there are, some things that she says that aren't borne out by evidence and they would not be supported by the British Menopause Society. And again, it comes back to that what information do you trust sort of idea. And what we don't like about the celebrity menopause thing is firstly the sort of whole jumping on the bandwagon, the sort of celebrities marching on Parliament. That's great, but actually celebrities aren't doctors. They're, they're not a menopause specialist who are doing this every day. And when you need policy to be influenced by the people who are on the ground doing the job. Mm. Um, so there are sort of good and bad things about it. Um, but what is brilliant is, as I was saying to you guys before this, is that we've gone from a situation where as a GP I would maybe see one woman a month for a menopause and we were still saying to them you can't have HRT, it's too unsafe only take it, you know, it delays the menopause it masks the menopause, all these things that we thought were true which we now know aren't true we've gone to that from literally i probably speak to 10 women a day in my nhs practice at least about menopause which is amazing and it's absolutely life-changing most women are now getting well many women still not all women are getting really good safe treatment for their menopause and I, i would just echo that on the on the workplace front i think the celebrity involvement is profile raising and as you were saying, Olivia, it's sort of the case now that instead of us uh, jumping down the line of, well, somebody's underperforming at work, let's go straight to a performance process, we might now, because of that profile raising, take a step back and think, is there something else going on here? And do we need to reflect back what we're seeing and have a more open, supportive conversation? So that shift in mindset, um, I think, probably does derive from that profile raising that those celebrities have been involved in to a degree. And it just gives us more data. The fact that more people are coming forward, that you have seen this amazing increase in demand, just gives you more knowledge and more trend to see actually what is happening with women at different ages 
and you were talking about women in their 50s and 60s who've really been affected in their careers and they didn't realize and now we have got this information to support people and how frustrating that must be for them it is it really is and at our clinic we see quite a lot of women in their 60s who've actually been suffering with and so again we used to be told you can't give hrt to women in their 60s because it's too dangerous you can't give it over 10 years post menopause and actually we've now realized that again the evidence on which those guidance was based is actually not as good as we thought it was and actually there isn't much evidence that it's dangerous in your 60s because a lot of women are still suffering with symptoms so we know symptoms will probably last about five to ten years sorry (laughs) but um, we don't know how long it's going to last everyone is going to be different but we know that for a considerable number about 10 percent of women their hot flushes will continue some into their 70s and 80s and so some of the women we're seeing are still really really suffering with this have been told they couldn't have hrt but again the worst is looking at the absolute the the catastrophic impact that's had on some of the women that we see so women who've lost their jobs who've lost their businesses who've lost their relationships Mm. um and a lot you made reference to the vulvovaginal symptoms so Mm. that's my area of interest is what we call genitourinary syndrome of menopause so we never talk about it the only symptom we know about is vaginal dryness but actually there's a lot of other vaginal symptoms like pain during sex you know like urinary symptoms that we see many of the women i see have never talked to anyone about this and a lot of the women i'm seeing in their 60s and 70s their relationship broke up because they couldn't have sex and it's easily and really safely treated Mm. um it's really easy to treat even for women who've had breast cancer can usually take the treatment but no one goes to their gp for it because they went 10 years ago they didn't get it they were told they couldn't have it or the gp simply didn't know because there wasn't the awareness that there Mm. is now and it i mean i know that some of the stories i see are absolutely tragic i some come out of the clinic sometimes just feeling like crying it is so bad what some women went through and that is what's so great about the awareness raising is that's not going to happen to women my age we are lucky i'm nearly 50 most of my friends are on hrt when we go with our symptoms we are likely to have them recognized and to be treated it does feel like a real shift in terms of getting access to hrt i remember friends when we turned 40 who got hrt kind of no question and i was still very much of that that campaign worked very well on me of well, once you start it, you can't stop it. And it's not might not be very necessarily good for you. And surely you have to be in your 50s before you're allowed it. And that's all changed. To actually get women on it much earlier now is a, is a much safer option. And as you were saying, you know, you can help people in a very short period of time to relieve some of their, some of their symptoms. But it's going back to that point of it being a taboo subject that we're really ashamed to talk about. People are especially ashamed to talk about their bits, aren't they? Mm. It's not. That's not something that people want to talk about. But it's so important that we do talk about it because knowing that you could have saved your relationship or your career if you'd have just had that conversation or been listened to must be heartbreaking that, that, that's that's the thing as well like you, you do look at that when that it starts to break down because of you know wh- whether there's those mood swings and you're having more arguments in, in the place but then because you're because as a woman you're feeling like that there's low sex drive and there's not and as a man then you're looking at going well i'm being rejected by yeah. my partner who I've been with for how many years and mm-hmm. had a good sex life up until then and you, you then feel rejected and you go oh this is because if it's not spoken about then you can see how those relationships break up like we, we could we could have so easily gone on that path and we wasn't uh, honestly we wasn't that far away from it I'm like, 26 years of I've known each other since we was 11 went to school together and you think like this is could have broken down had we not had this n- not discussion or not happened and we're not gone down that route. So you go, how um, many more times do we need to, you know, more of these conversations and not make it, and look for blokes to not be embarrassed about talking about it, do you know what I mean? And and, mm. and speak to their wives and go, look, let's chat about this and have those conversations because it is. It's, uh, and again, I wonder whether, 
back to that education piece, uh, because in regards to the age that people have perimenopause or menopause, it was seen as a much older. I know when Philip Kelly first went, like at 43, it was like, oh, you're too young to, to have that. But it's not, it can be even younger than that, can't it? I guess that, that's what my understanding Yeah, it can be. And again, it's all really controversial. So pre mm. in the pre-Divina era, so I divide the menopause into <laughs> yeah. pre and post-Divina. So pre-Divina, um, the perimenopause was the year before your period stopped. So it was when your period started spacing out, you started getting hot flushes. That was the perimenopause. Mm. So it was really, again, the documentary, because not only when you were talking about awareness, it's not just about awareness among patients, it's awareness among doctors. So the reason that doctors have had to up skills so fast is because they've got, had women coming in going, I think I've read that the perimenopause can start 10 years before menopause. And the doctors are going, I've never even heard of perimenopause. What is this? And then you have to go, yeah. you know, and look yeah. it up and sort of be educate yourself. And so I moderate a Facebook group for doctors interested in menopause. And we started the group and we had 80 people. And now we've got 5,700. Oh, we've got doctors from all different specialties. Because remember, gynecologists get no training in menopause either. Would you believe oh, it? Of course they so don't. Of course they don't. Course it's not they don't. just, you know, <laughs> doing women's Olivia. health. So as GPs, so in Sussex, because before Zoe started her yeah. Brighton and Hove clinic, but everywhere else in Sussex, there is no NHS menopause clinic. And so the only people we've got as GPs to ask if we don't know are the gynaecologists. The gynaecologists also don't know very much about it either. So we've got the situation where women have been educating doctors, which is brilliant. So women are coming in and sort of really pressurising doctors. And so it's only now, you know, we're now two years into the post-Divina era that mm. women are beginning to be treated earlier in their form. 40s um but that always i see some women in their late 30s as well because mm. if you if your mum went through menopause at 43 you know and you're 38 you could just be like you could be in five years before menopause so and actually i think that that point about age is, is really relevant to the workplace as well because that assumption or the old-fashioned assumption that it's a later life issue if we keep using that language it can be really excluding for people in the workplace who are going through it earlier whether because of uh, it just part as you say passing down through the generations or maybe surgical intervention so the language we use in our policy and the way we're training people needs to be really inclusive to make sure that however you're coming to menopause and at whatever stage in life you feel that the support that's there is for you as well yeah I think that's really important and I think the group of women that you've mentioned so there are two groups of women who've been really left out of this conversation one of the early menopause women so we know that POI premature ovarian insufficiency which happens before the age of 40 some studies claim up to 1% of women so this is a really important group so we see a lot of women who've had cancer or you've had treatment who, which means that they've gone into menopause very early mm. and they're often left out of this conversation the other is women who can't have HRT so we need to remember there's a lot of women who've had breast cancer so however much they get sent to a, you know, they're in the workplace, I mean, their symptoms are not, uh, well, actually, actually, there is a lot we can do. So we see a lot of women in our specialist clinic who have had cancer. And there's a lot we can do for their symptoms. But these are women who've been really left out of this conversation. So while there's this whole brilliant, well, hey, everyone can have HRT, there's mm. a whole lot of women who are like, wait a minute, you're not talking about me. Mm. But not only that, but a lot of the long term harms of not having HRT have been really overemphasised by the the sort of celebrity involvement so people are now like right not only have I got breast cancer but now I'm being told I'm going to get dementia and osteoporosis and have a heart attack because I'm not being able to take HRT mm. which again is not quite correct so it's, we need to remember these women you're absolutely mm. right especially these younger women there's that point around you know when you go to the doctor and I love the work that you're doing with GPs and that women are educating the medical system because I speak to a lot of women they go to the doctor for a symptom or another 
can be all different and they'll say you know could it be hormonal and it's typically a male doctor who will give them like the biggest eye roll of like uh hormones like no it's not related it makes them feel really uncomfortable which then yeah. doesn't help that conversation of wanting to go back to that same doctor when you might have another symptom that is related or maybe that symptom you do have is related but we've just not got enough education in the system how can we help those women it's so sad and i absolutely i hear this unfortunately in my private clinic all the time although less and less i mean the poor gps in this area now me and zoe have done so much teaching that they're like please stop talking to us about (laughs) i think luckily i really hope and again what i would always say to women if you've had that experience and that was two years ago remember the learning curve for gps has been so huge and actually don't be discouraged do go back um so what i say is go back ask the receptionists who to see because actually the receptionists always know because they're all perimenopause women so they all know <laughs> exactly <laughs> which doctor they would like to see um and then the other thing is because what often happens with is, is about knowing how to manipulate the system so what often happens is that if you've got you know you're getting worse and worse you're feeling terribly anxious you don't sleep on sunday night you phone on monday morning so i've got to see a doctor now so the first thing is it's monday morning i don't know if you've ever phoned gp on monday morning you're mm-hmm. never going to get through and secondly you won't see the right doctor you'll see the locum who's there to do the emergency stuff so what i always say is many gps now have a way in which you can email them or they have a system like e-consult you go on and you just say i don't mind waiting I don't mind waiting three or four weeks, but I'd really like to see the right doctor who's going to help be able to help me the first time. That benefits the practice because you're only using one appointment, um, but it also benefits you because you know that you're going to go in. And I'd also say do a symptom checker before you go in. So we've got one on our Myla Health website. Um, and it's really good because actually a lot of women will come in, like you were saying, you go in with one symptom, but actually we give them the symptom checker. They're like, oh, and that. And oh, is that that a symptom too? Oh, I never knew about that. Before you know it, you've got 22. And then when you've got 22 symptoms, it's, you know, you can say to the doctor, look, I've either got 22 separate medical problems or (laughs) there is one unifying thing to this, which is that this could be hormonal. So, and that's what I say. Do educate, do the research, look at the women's health concerns stuff, the British Menopause Society thing. And also, in, but I do hear this all the time women have been fobbed off and then they just get so anxious. So, what I try and teach my trainees all the time is, you know, that people are so vulnerable when they go to the doctor. They're coming, they're throwing themselves on your mercy. And you've got to accept that that is a very vulnerable point and they've mm. got to be kind. And if you don't know the answer, then find someone who does. But what you don't do is because of your own, un- it's underconfidence generally, mm. is then reject them because then people don't go back. And we see them four years later in our clinic and by that point they've stopped commuting to London because they can't do it anymore because they're too anxious on the train or whatever it happens to be. Things have happened that are irreversible. Mm. So just go back, keep trying. That's a, that's a great point as well, but to relate it to the workplace mm. as well, so that f- for someone to go to a to their boss or Absolutely. someone in the workplace quite vulnerably yeah. and, and being it. So actually as leaders, as bosses, whatever that is, we, we've also got to look at that and be more empathetic mm. and understand that from that point of view, actually, that like you said, I think you, you touched on it earlier, Amy, is that that first point of call mm. is not to go it's this mm. it is to go well, actually what else could it be yeah. what else could it be and let's open that conversation I think that's as a society in general actually yeah. just as couples at home talking about it whatever it is that first thing not to be that oh, they're just going through whatever and as you were saying Olivia with the, um, with the doctor situation I would apply that to managers as well if somebody comes to you and says I, I'm struggling with with menopause and I feel like it's interacting with the workplace if you don't have a solution or know the answer don't panic mm. 
just explain that you're going to go away and find out what there is on offer within your workplace that might help and then just be sure to do that follow-up because nobody's expecting managers to have all the answers at their fingertips at all times but going away finding out and then making sure to follow up and and not forgetting that is is the best approach to take and as you say it comes down to confidence so the training that we do with managers gives them the confidence to feel able to do that also to know what is available in their workplaces but to handle a situation in that supportive way instead of pushing it aside not wanting to engage appearing to be embarrassed or uncomfortable which as, as you're saying will be the way in which people will say okay I'm not going back there again and potentially we know one in four people think about leaving the workplace because of menopausal symptoms we know one in ten do that's part, part, part of the reason why and that I find really, as someone that's always really enjoyed my career, mm. the idea that you are judged when you're older anyway, mm. and then you have these extra symptoms that make your job even harder mm. to not feel supported by the workplace. I know more and more organisations do have menopause forums or menopause, you know, the same way that you would have your pride network, you've got your menopause network. Absolutely. I wonder how kind of the current culture of hybrid working helps women more and more in this situation, because if you have had a bad night, yeah. sleep, you were saying, Liv, is so important. If you are working from home day, you've got more chance of yeah. recovery. And this is so the things that I, when I talk to women about what has helped them in the workplace, the first is flexibility. Um, so, and I'm sure I can hear Amy nodding. So, obviously, that's something that you're nodding hearing as well. So being, yeah, do, yes, that's part of your <laughs> yes. training. Yeah. So, being flexible, and the second yes, is ho- and, and flexibility, understanding, but also yeah, home working because it means that you can you can have a little nap at lunchtime if you mm. need to. Um, but having the flexibility, being able to say to your manager, actually, that I've had a really bad night. Can I start a bit late and finish a bit later? Can I condense my hours this week? Um, is it all right if you know? I'm, so, it's just being able to approach them. And what we do. Um, at Myla Health as well as so we train these people called menopause champions and we've done that for a few NHS trusts around here um, and we're going into Chichester University to do that soon as well which is great and these are lay people so not managers um, These and they are people that you can go to and talk to about menopause who are specifically trained to just be a sort of support within the workplace mm. and some um, and there are lots of organisations now that are doing that as well as having things like menopause cafes and, and I think that's a really lovely idea as well so just having a bit of support you might not want to sort of go around the whole HR route but you might just want to be able to bounce some stuff off someone who you know is going to understand who isn't a manager or who isn't part of HR and that's sort of something that's really helpful as well. I suppose it's also just important to say that on the hybrid working front there are all those benefits around flexibility which are very very useful but at the same time that can create isolation and so just making sure that if you have somebody in your team who is uh, struggling has come to you or or you are believe that there might be something going on that you keep that channel of communication open uh, and it isn't a case of sort of out of sight out of mind because if somebody is perhaps solely remote that can create distance that, that we want to close the gap of because they still want to be part of a team don't they? No, I guess, yeah. I'm, I'd be interested to know obviously covid itself the pandemic has helped so many companies open their eyes to flexible work and this changed the world completely in that sense isn't it and people are more open to that and i think do, do, have you seen that more as a, a shift as well like in the workplace that obviously from covid people companies being able to go they're more open to flexible working of course with prior to that that conversation wasn't yeah. there necessarily was it absolutely there's definitely been uh, a greater uh, embracing of flexible working mm. and we've seen that even with the change in legislation that's coming through which mm. is making it perhaps more accessible I think there's still um, reticence in some quarters to allow it uh, in certain roles, in certain industries, in certain 
businesses and there are a multitude of reasons for that whether it's down to trust or culture uh, but we know as you're saying that it is a practical way to help people particularly uh, in relation to menopause so recognizing the value that it can add and the fact that it can essentially keep somebody in the workplace who you might otherwise have lost uh, or who might have reduced their hours that that really shows how important it is to to embrace Mm. Although I absolutely agree with your point about isolation. Mm. I do think that for some women who are struggling with their mental health, mm. I don't think sitting at home in front of a screen all day mm. is brilliant sometimes. Mm. And I do, and that is sometimes quoted to me as yeah. an issue mental health-wise. You just don't have that sort of outlet to be able to mm. go and see colleagues and interact with other people. So I think you're so right, Amy, mm. that, that, em- that employers and managers have got to take that into account as well when supporting their Definitely, employees. Yeah feels like a lot of organizations want people to go back in the office more and more i think as we've got further and further away yeah, from the right. pandemic and there was talk of menopause being a protected characteristic mm. obviously that didn't go no. through but organizations <laughs> are being asked to act as if it did go mm. go through how does that work for you from a legal standpoint in terms of supporting people yeah i think it, it was disappointing for a lot of quarters when um the decision was made that that menopause wouldn't be made a standalone protected characteristic albeit there are some good reasons for for not going down that route but that doesn't mean that claims can't be brought on the basis of menopause and its symptoms so the the approach should certainly be to err on the side of caution where that's concerned discrimination claims can in the right sets of circumstances ensue from the way somebody is treated at work in relation to the menopause whether that's in relation to it being a disability in relation to their age or perhaps in relation to their to their sex so I would say erring on the side of caution uh, and not just thinking well the government have rejected that recommendation we're in the clear uh, that would definitely be the advice computer said no indeed not following that advice no (laughs) wow there's so it's much to this there topic. There is, there is, there is. got still a million more questions <laughs> <laughs> for you. Um, so when we've been talking about this kind of rise in awareness and more and more people are coming to the clinic, what has been the trend that you've seen then, Amy, in terms of discrimination cases coming through? Have you, are you also seeing the same trends? We are certainly seeing an upward curve in the number of cases that cite menopause or have menopause um, referenced in in uh, their, their particulars so there's definitely an upward trend and, and that's to be expected when the profile is going up uh, so rapidly what we're also seeing I think is a greater inclination within the courts to agree that the symptoms of menopause satisfy the definition of disability that exists under the Equality Act uh, in the right sets of circumstances there's definitely a willingness to agree that actually they can be that severe and have that substantial impact on somebody's day-to-day activities Uh, I don't think what we're seeing um, really touches uh, the sides really where the experience of women is concerned because of course many cases will settle before they reach uh, reach a tribunal and if we think about people going through menopause is is it the time in your life where you want to be embarking on something that is hugely stressful, hugely costly, possibly going to actually damage your confidence even more? Uh, so I don't think we're seeing the full picture of, of uh, how many claims perhaps exist. They're not make necessarily all making their way way through, but certainly the trend the trend is upwards. Uh, and and as I say, it goes across the the scale of, um, in terms of different types of discrimination that can be that can be brought or claims that can be brought in that regard. So interesting, just that judgment piece when you're in a in an organisation. And some industries are, are worse, financial industries, I can think of a few, but I've, you would be for sure judged regardless, let alone when you get over a certain age and you've started having menopause symptoms. And for those women who are having to hide them 
or work around them to ensure that they're keeping you know seen by the big the big bosses mm. it must be incredibly stressful yeah, on absolutely. top of everything else yeah and it's going to damage engagement it's going to damage uh, motivation uh, and it's going to make you think twice about do you want to go for that promotion or actually are you going to scale back and at a time when in the UK there is a massive talent shortage the notion that you would lose all that talent uh, or some of it at least is um it's quite horrifying really and from a business point of view we're saying obviously it's not just a box ticking exercise it is this point about you know the benefits for a business to have the right policy in place the right um, education knowing where to go having the right spaces making that communication it's getting the, the best out of the staff that you have but also attracting new staff yeah. in and protecting yourself from potential discrimination well i had this conversation with somebody a little while back about providing some um, in-house menopause training to them and they said but we've got a really young team so it doesn't really feel very relevant at the moment and actually that's missing a huge part of the picture not only that point that we made about um, you know the children of those going through menopause but also actually we know that um, employees when they're looking for somewhere new to go they want to work somewhere that's inclusive they want to work somewhere that they know is going to support its people at any stage of life in relation to any medical condition Mm. so suggesting that well my you know the, the, the demographics of my workforce don't need that menopause training actually it's it's much bigger than that and it is about talent attraction staff retention mm-hmm. and the culture that you're creating in the workplace and your point around the ecosystem you know for you at home it's been stressful for you having yeah. a partner going through that you want to educate everybody at every possible opportunity he she they regardless of age because there might be Indeed. somebody in your ecosystem that's impacted absolutely and, yeah. and actually i think even back to i guess I remember to, we, we spoke on here, probably one of the topics we spoke about was fertility, wasn't it? We were, um, and we were speaking about actually going into schools and educating people more about Because, again, back to uh, my, my own personal experience with that, we went through IVF to have the twins and, you know, we had failed miscarriage, ectopic pregnancies and all. And, and Kelly did go through a really tough period at that point as well in, in our lives. But, again, because we went into it thinking, oh, we, the second we have sex, we're going to get pregnant and you you don't think there's going to be problems because of that's what you're sort of told at school and that's the sex education at school is and the same I, I think from my point of view I'm more I listen the more I try and get knowledgeable about it is actually do, do we start educating even children at schools and stuff like that is that something that is yeah that and that, that's something that we've done and that and interesting and my daughter had someone come into her school and talk about menopause which was mm. absolutely brilliant but also it's not just about menopause I think one of the really brilliant things about this has been just the attention that has been turned to women's health full stop Mm. so as you said Sam absolutely it's not just about menopause Mm. women are of other ages as well and I think just women basically understanding what their own bodies do Mm. is actually quite important Mm. and this is I really try and drum this into my daughter who's like oh my god (laughs) (laughs) Um, but um but you know so I run a also a an adolescent sexual health clinic and most of the young women that I see there firstly they are much more empowered and they're much more able to talk about things like periods than we were when we were younger but they still really don't know how it all works and no one does as a woman you just sort of get through life and you take a bit of contraception you don't really know what it's doing you just hope you won't get pregnant and the only time and I'm you know I'm a doctor the only time I actually really wanted to work out when I was ovulating was when I was trying to get pregnant Um, and as you know when you've been through fertility treatment you suddenly are very aware of the cycle (laughs) and how it works but actually for many women you get through your whole life without ever really realising what works in your body and also the fact that most women don't even know the names like they still call 
all their vulva, their vagina, and they still don't know where anything is and what happens. And actually, I think that is what I'd really like to be taught in schools mm. a bit more is just about how the female body works and how how things go right, how things go wrong, and how your fertility works and all these kind of things. So I think it needs to be extended to women of mm. all ages. And men need to know this stuff too. But yeah. that, that's what I was just about to say, yeah. Because one of the reasons obviously I wanted to be on here and talk and, and talk to you about was exactly that like from a man's point of view boys like I've got a son as well and when, when does that start we want to I think being more open having these conversations and more men being open to the actually I want to know more about that because that's going to help in some, whether I run a business and I can understand my woman, woman workforce or whether I've got a partner and I can go through that whether it's my mum whether it's my sister whatever it is we've all we're all surrounded by, as a man, we're surrounded by women. And at some stages they're going to go, I'm not just talking about menopause, but actually understanding all the different... Because, again, back to, again, fertility, use that as an example. If we're educated about uh, about all of that, we, mm. can, we can move on and we can find... I think we just... But what, could, what advice like, would you give to men, I guess, going like, is there places you can point to go, right, actually listen to that book or read that or... It's really interesting, and I don't know if I can actually. And that's and so I mean, clearly this is a massive. You think, oh, there's a massive gap here. <laughs> yeah. Someone needs to be doing this. I think people are beginning to more, and I think also, and also, it is so funny, isn't it? This taboo that actually a lot of men are in couples, and even then, still don't really. It's all this sort of dark magic art. It's like mm. if your you know partner has a period every month, but you don't really know how, and none, and we don't really talk about it. Yeah. And then you have a daughter, you don't really talk about it, and no one really talks about it. But actually, and actually, this is centuries of people not talking about mm. this stuff so I don't know if anyone's ever read Unwell Women but I'd really recommend it it's basically a history of women's health um, mm. and how women's health for years women have been characterised as being sort of mad or witches or um, and never and their health you know no one's ever really known about this mysterious wound that like migrates around your body and causes you to go mad and all these kind of things so it is actually it's, it's so it's not men don't have themselves to blame it is you know centuries of this mm. stuff going on and no one really talking about it but I think actually knowing you know what's what is happening with your partner is actually really useful mm. and not making it into some sort of funny like oh no it's all a bit hormonal because actually as I explained to men if we removed your testicles at the age of 50 and you suddenly lost all your testosterone <laughs> which is essentially what's happening to women men don't feel they are governed by their hormones but they are too so your mm. testosterone is what makes you a man it's what gives you your drive and your energy and your personality and when that, if that immediately went at 50 you would start feeling pretty rubbish as well and so it's just about having that empathy it's all very mm. well it doesn't happen to men but actually that is what's happening to women mm. and women men have hormones too and they are equally as governed by their hormones as women are it's just that no one ever talks about that either we do have this thing this way of just can we just talk about it that's what me and yeah. sam were really passionate about I was like, can we just talk about yeah. this stuff because a it's so interesting and we just don't talk about it enough I was listening to a podcast recently and they, it was um, Dr. Mindy Peltz and she was talking about, um, you know, at this point in your cycle, your, your girlfriend will feel like this and at this point she'll feel like that. So if you want to, she'll, have, she'll be more in her power at this point and she won't want to do anything at this point. And um, I've been on the, I also went through um, infertility treatment. It didn't work. And so I've been on the mini pill now for like 10 years. And so I don't have, have a cycle to speak of. 
so I was so intrigued because I know lots of other women in my circle who do still have periods and lots of female founders who actually run their business by their cycle mm. and they know that this is their time to make decisions and they've really gone all in on that education piece to really understand their body and I just think it's incredible that we don't know when we're at our most powerful mm. or when we just really shouldn't be doing some activity that we're just trying constantly to overperform we talked before we want to know about how the way to get around this is just overperform no one no, no one notices anything <laughs> nothing to see here <laughs> nothing to see here overperform overperform no 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 but we do need to understand more and more and there's so again it's a point of information there's so many podcasts out there mm. and it's just encouraging our listeners whether you're an employer or employee just get out there and and just try and find the information and as olivia said go to the british menopause society specifically on the menopause and we'll all have to find our way with (laughs) some of the other stuff while there's a bit of a gap but it's incredible how much we don't know and i would say particularly as as business owners or managers within businesses you'd be getting ahead of the curve if you were to give a greater degree of attention to women's health in the workplace Mm -hmm. because we have seen menstruation leave uh, be brought in in spain uh, to give time off for uh, people who are menstruating and experience severe symptoms as a result. Obviously, uh, fertility is an issue in the workplace. It will affect how people perform, male or female, irrespective of which side of the coin you're on. And we are seeing um, private members' bills going through to try and provide greater legislative support for that experience. So actually, if you turned your attention to it now, you would be getting ahead of the curve because it's it's coming. Amazing. We could go on, but we've got to stop. We have. Oh, Sam. We need to get back for for episode two. I know, I know. (laughs) This is definitely a two-parter, I feel. Amy, thank you so much. Is there anything that we should leave our listeners with from your perspective in terms of legal, HR? What can we tell people? Yeah, the one thing that I think um, is perhaps maybe forgotten about sometimes comes back to that inclusivity point. We talked about the different ages and the different ways which people might come to menopause. But actually just remembering, we've talked a lot about women. Uh, we're not necessarily solely talking about women when we're talking about menopause. We might be talking about trans men or non-binary people. And just thinking when we're putting policies in place or rolling out training that actually we need to be inclusive in the approach. We want to make sure that everyone knows that the support is there for them and their particular experience of this. Brilliant. And Olivia, what would you leave our, our listeners with? I think too, um, just to go back to the point that we made before about seeking help. So again, please just... If you are worried and you are feeling, you know, it, again, it's brilliant talking about stuff and that's absolutely wonderful. That's the first step. But actually, most treatments now are safe and effective. Go and find the right person to talk to, whether it's going to see us at Myla Health or whether it's going to see your NHS GP. Um, and just keep on going back until you find someone who can help you. Don't give up. Brilliant. Amazing. Listen, thank you both so much. It's been a, been a brilliant conversation, as I knew it would, and hopefully has helped, which I'm sure it has a lot of our listeners. And hopefully this is just the start of these type of conversations that and we will do a lot more together, I'm sure, So around this subject. So thank you both so much. Thank you. Thank you. Lindsay. Sam. Wow. That was uh, we could have we could have done three episodes. Oh, <laughs> there's just so much to cover in that, mm. and I think just trying to sum it up for our for our listeners, whether you're an employee or your employer, just remember that not all women will be impacted by this. Loads mm. of us will just glide through it, and it'll all be fine. Mm. But for those of us that do need support, it's really good to know that you can find the right information at the British Menopause Society. If you're not getting the right response from your GP, just thinking about what Olivia was saying that we're all on an education journey with this. So just keep pushing have a look at their symptoms checker 
and in the workplace your policies do need to be inclusive so this isn't just about women this will also be about trans men and women as well so mm. just making sure that you're looking out for everybody yeah absolutely yeah and i think that from a policy point of view as well like making sure that within the workplace that it's not just from a legal standpoint but actually from a supportive environment as well how we can really help and by having those conversations and i think look just shouting out to men really as well just don't be embarrassed about it like talk about we're going to be if you're a man you're going to be surrounded by women whether that's a sister a mum a, a colleague a partner whatever that looks like friends there's you're going to be surrounded by people that potentially can go through this so educate yourself find out about it talk about it openly and don't be embarrassed and and because knowledge as we know is power 100 percent. and if you do want to talk about it then you can reach out to sam and i we are on linkedin so i'm lindsay clay and i'm sam thomas thank you so much for listening thank you and we'll see you next month